Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. We knew how engaged those audiences were. We also knew that those audiences like to go to authentic sources that are very near and dear to those communities. And so that we knew that there was intrinsic value in working with those publishers for access to those specific communities. To reach specific audiences, you need a strong understanding of their mindset and values and unique insights into the data. It's this kind of focused, direct approach that generates strong returns on advertising dollars. Working directly with entrepreneurs, working directly you know, with smaller teams, we find that to be an effective source because we can really dive into their business, understand what they're doing, and execute media campaigns on their behalf that deliver the results that they're looking for. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Digital advertising has allowed companies to seek out and lock in on their audiences. And that means super efficient, high impact campaigns. Today on the podcast, we get to sit down with Mark Walker, co-founder, CEO, and chairman of Direct Digital Holdings, which trades under the symbol DRCT. Direct Digital is a digital advertising solutions holding company consisting of three subsidiaries, Colossus SSP, Orange 142, and Huddled Masses. DDH provides programmatic digital advertising solutions with a specialization in reaching highly sought-after multicultural audiences and underserved middle market companies across the U.S. The company is at the forefront of dynamic and inclusive approaches to advertising, and in February of 2022, DDH became the ninth-ever Black-owned U.S. company to go public. Mark is an expert in strategic planning, management, and revenue generation for Fortune 500 companies, private firms, and startups. Prior to co-founding DDH, he directed business development for NRG Energy and served as COO at Ebony Media. Mark serves on multiple advisory boards and has written multiple research articles and case studies for Jupiter Research, Search Engine Watch, and the IAB. Let's enter the arena with Mark Walker. The easiest way to just understand our business, we help companies buy and sell media, and we leverage technology to do it. But there's two primary markets that we look to serve. The first market is small to mid-sized businesses. And then when we think about small to mid-sized businesses, those are companies that are five to 500 million in top line revenue. And they typically are in local and regional markets that we determine are tier two, tier three advertisers advertising markets that just, you know, have been a little bit late to coming into the digital 
digital game and digital marketing. The second market that we service are multicultural publishers that have had a difficult time in reaching the programmatic ecosystem. And so we work with them to actually help them connect into the marketplace. What were kind of the specific challenges or the opportunity you saw in the landscape when you were just kind of starting the company? Previously, I, um, you know, it's been to, since 1999, I'd actually worked in the digital space in the startup heyday of the late 90s. But fast forwarding, I spent the bulk of my career working at a Fortune 500 company, NRG Energy, where at that time I was running their digital sales and their digital innovation group, helped them grow that business, and then subsequently went into business development for NRG Energy, where along with the digital team, uh, we grew that business to about a billion dollars in revenue. So really got a top-down view of the value chain of driving outcomes, driving KPIs, driving ROI for NRG Energy, leveraging digital. Fast forward my career, a couple years after that, I ended up working at um, Ebony Media as their COO, helping them go through a digital transformation of moving from a publisher to a digital platform. And it was there that I saw the bottoms-up view of the value chain and saw all the difficulties that the small to multicultural publishers were having in getting the attention of the larger, I would say, ad tech companies and wanting to work with them to help them generate revenue. That was really the genesis of understanding that there was a hole in the marketplace. There was an opportunity to bring and aggregate a lot of these smaller multicultural publishers together in order to generate revenue. And so that from that experience, we saw the opportunity and um, started Direct Digital Holdings with two uh, basic platforms, Huddle Masses and Colossus SSP. And uh, we started growing from there. Started off with $6 million in, in revenue, unprofitable at that time. We cleaned it up. And um, right now, at the end of this year, it looks like we're going to be able to grow to about 85 to $90 million in top-line revenue. And I've uh, been really proud of uh, what we've been able to accomplish. Yeah, well, listen, the growth is like off the charts, but just kind of back to the basics, Mark, is the definition of end-to-end programmatic, meaning the sell and the buy side kind of linked together? Is that it? Absolutely. So you have two sides of the business, buy side, which is really focused in on working directly with those small to mid-sized businesses. And then on the sell side, we work directly with the publishers and we're able to connect those two pieces together. And so that's where we sit in the value chain. And so huddled masses, and then in, I know you started with that, as you just said, and then in 2020, you bought Orange 142. Those are kind of buy-side vehicles for you, correct? Absolutely. That is correct. And then the sell side is Colossus, which I know is becoming a Colossus. Um, <laughs> tell me, like, if I'm a client, either on one side or the other, what, what is the experience like? Like, how do I come to you? How do I kind of get things going? Just for people who kind of don't fully understand the company, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start off with the buy side of the business, whether you're talking to Huddle Masses or Orange 142. If you're in a tier two, tier three a media market, and let's say you're looking to drive new customers, you would talk to one of our um, account representatives, and then they would help you come up with a campaign plan and a campaign approach. 
And then subsequently, they pass it off to one of our, what we call traders, who actually are fingers on keyboards, and they actually design your campaign configuration and start purchasing media on your behalf. And then the whole goal is really to drive and match it to KPIs and ROI that is delivering results for that business. So our account managers are going in and dissecting your business and trying to better understand how can we help you drive incremental value to your business leveraging digital media. That's the buy side of the business. The sell side of the business, where we work with the multicultural publishers along with general market like Hearst and Gannett, we help those companies actually connect their digital inventory or media space and actually help them sell it through an auction-based system in order for buyers to purchase their media at the highest CPM possible. So that's how both of those sides work. And they work together, and we also work with other larger demand sources to generate money for the publishers that we actually work with. Why has it been so difficult for people to reach some of these multicultural audiences? Is it they underestimate the power of those audiences, or is it also a cost issue? Like, is it Has it been expensive generally to reach those audiences or maybe both? You hit the nail on the head. It's actually both in twofold, right? One, typically the smaller multicultural publishers, they might have, you know, anywhere between three to five million unique visitors on a monthly basis coming to their site. The larger ad tech providers, um, I'm just throwing names out there, Magnite, Pubmatics, the ones you've heard of, for them to connect them into their platform, it takes a significant amount of resources to do that. Therefore, when you're talking about three to five million unique visitors, it's just... Um, it's a heavy lift and they would rather spend a lot of their time focusing on the larger media providers that are out there. We saw the opportunity because of the experience at Ebony, because we knew how engaged those audiences were. We also knew that those audiences like to go to authentic sources that are very near and dear to those communities. And so that we knew that there was intrinsic value in working with those publishers for those access to those specific communities. And we saw that firsthand from the experience at Ebony. And that's what really led us down that path of actually creating Colossus SSP, working with Colossus and helping grow it to where it is today. Maybe talk about some of your advertisers and what what are some of your key industry verticals? On the buy side of our business, we focus on about four or five different key industries. Financial services, we focus on CPG, we also focus on energy and healthcare, and also retail establishments. Because local and regional advertisers they're focused uh, primarily on, if I give you a dollar today, can you give me a dollar fifteen if I spend media? We're always tied to the ROI. So we'll we'll find how we can find the most effective use of those media dollars to try to drive ROI and KPIs directly to those advertisers because local and regional advertisers are typically entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurs are not into all the sophistication of of marketing as Fortune 500 companies. They just care about results, and that's what our team is focused in on our results for. Yeah. And Mark, how do you define the middle market? I know that's really what you're going after, and it represents a pretty huge amount of digital ad spend. And um, maybe tell us about that market and how that fits with what you're doing. 
So when we look at the the middle market, we define that as five million to five hundred million in top line revenue. We do work with some Fortune five hundred companies, um, specifically around our buy side business, but typically it's their tertiary or secondary brands. It's not their primary brands um, that we'll end up doing work for. But um, it's really that middle market is our sweet spot. And working directly with entrepreneurs, working directly, you know, with smaller teams, we find that to be an effective source because we can really dive into their business, understand what they're doing, and execute media campaigns on their behalf that deliver the results that they're looking for. And so it's been a good sweet spot for us. And what we have seen is that some of the larger ad tech players that are in the marketplace have somewhat um, overlooked that market. And that's how we've been able to carve our niche there. I think the middle market is about a quarter of all digital ad spending, right? I mean, what what is that aggregate number, Mark, actually? Like, I mean, it's probably hard to pinpoint, is it, it but it's a big, big number, right? About 50 billion is the, the number that we have uh, researched, and that's about the size of the marketplace that we're going after um, in that middle market. So it's a lot of green field there. As the economy comes down from the highs of 2021 and advertisers look for more efficient ways to spend, expensive platforms like Twitter and Meta might not be as appealing. I asked Mark if Direct Digital Holdings is benefiting from this economic shift. Very good question. I think two things typically happen in the marketplace um, that I think really become, it might be headwinds for some companies, but I feel like it's um, tailwinds for us. Those larger, what we call wall garden platforms, your meta, your Twitter, your Snapchat, where they're enclosed systems that people buy media from, they're not working with different publishers in what you would call the open CPM or open marketplace. And that's really where we live. Those CPMs inside of those wall gardens, such as Facebook, Meta, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, their CPMs have been rising because they have been getting less users to adopt and use those platforms. And so um, the customers that we have talked to have said they've seen the cost of their campaigns go up about 20 to 25%. We feel like that's a real opportunity for us because most of those small to mid-sized businesses who have been dependent upon leveraging paid social for their campaigns are now looking for alternatives in order to deliver the ROI and the KPI that they're used to. And so now going to this open marketplace of the CP and the open market CPM, which is what we represent with our platform, has been very effective for them. And we're starting to see that trade happen. When you look back at 22, uh, Mark, incredible year, kind of beating expectations and, and raising guidance. You know, what was really driving this success? And, and do you think the market fully appreciated the numbers that you put up on the board? Well, I will say um, I don't believe the market fully appreciates the performance that we showed last year. I feel like the Rodney Dangerfield of stock right now. I think eventually, um, I think the market will catch up to our value proposition. I think eventually the market will catch up to the level of growth that we have had and, and get the valuations in alignment to maybe some of our other peers. You know, as a company and for us and how we've been driving the business, we focus on the basic fundamentals. And I think that's part of the ethos of being a private company that decided to go public. We focus on top line revenue growth, but we also try to maintain um, and focus heavily to maintain EBITDA. And that's because, you know, we've been private owners and you're always focused on EBITDA because that's how you that's how you eat. 
So we tried to carry that same practices and organizational discipline into the public market. And I think it's proven favorable for us. Yeah, just keep doing what you're doing and people ultimately will recognize. It's funny how over the long term, however you define that, there is a 100% correlation between valuation and earnings and the market will catch up to you. One thing that popped out to me too is kind of your client retention, uh, particularly among those clients that make up quite a bit of your revenue. Maybe you can talk about that and kind of your your strengths in that area. Yeah, absolutely. So um, on the buy side of our business, um, roughly our clients who are, again, in that tier two, tier three media market, because they view us as a trusted partner and because they view us as a trusted source of delivering ROI and delivering KPIs, it has really worked to our advantage to retain our customers. Every year, um, out of our top 20 customers, we'll lose one or two, but we have a a significant pipeline built because in total on the buy side of our business, we service about 250 to 300 different customers. And so the way that we have developed our businesses, we have made it to where we can monetize small campaigns and large campaigns that ultimately deliver results. And because we're so focused on driving incremental value and incremental KPIs and ROI to our customers, it makes us a lot stickier than if we were focused on more nebulous KPIs to measure against. And so that's that's why we've been able to have a strong retention rate with our top customers and clients. I know that you've publicly given props to your staff, which everybody talks about ESG and diversity, and some are better than others. I mean, I know to you and your management team, the diversity of the staff is really the entire secret sauce of of the company and your success. Please tell us about that. If you look at um, our board of directors, if you look at our executive team, and if you look at our leadership team, we firmly believe in diversity. We believe diversity will always yield outsized results and outsized performance, not just because, you know, of how someone looks, but more so in their backgrounds, in their training, in their development, in their thoughts, in their experiences. Having that level of diversity has always yielded positive results. And I think um, the way that the company has been able to perform in the past, how we hopefully will be able to perform in the future, I think we're a test case of how diversity actually can deliver those type of results and can't be prouder of the team and what they've been able to accomplish and really looking forward to seeing what they'll be able to do in 2023. Speaking of 23, where are you kind of placing your bets, Mark? What, what are you investing behind and you know, where do you see growth coming from? And maybe you could also touch on the M&A market. I have to imagine it's uh, somewhat fragmented and, and that creates an opportunity for you as well. You know, in 2023, being um, a publicly traded company, I, I have to throw the disclaimer out, we cannot give forward guidance. Absolutely. However, <laughs> however, you know, where we see growth for 2023, is we are definitely thinking those local and regional markets and those tier two, tier three markets, we're placing more bets and we're planning on putting more people out in the field to try to capture that market share for those local and regional advertisers that need to uh, connect into the programmatic ecosystem system. We're seeing the, the, the impact of coming out of COVID that the small to mid-sized advertisers see the importance of digital now 
And uh, we think that we'll be able to be beneficiaries of that. So that's that's one major bet that we're planning on making. And the second one on our sell side business, we really are focused in on adding more publishers to our overall marketplace. Last year, we we ended the year at a roughly about 135 billion impressions on a monthly basis that we service. We're looking to continue to expand and grow that within 2023. And we think if we do that, that's our formula for continuing to grow our business. More boots on the ground are bringing in more buy-side business and more advertisers and the more publishers coming into our ecosystem to grow our overall SSP or supply-side marketplace. My last question, Mark, I know you commissioned some interesting research from Horowitz and, and had a white paper that illustrated some of the, you know, the economic power of, of kind of this uh, multicultural marketplace. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. And I think that's kind of timely. There's something uh, coming out in mid-February. Is that correct? What we decided to do to go, give to the, the general market as it relates to um, advertising and trying to reach the multicultural audience, we ended up talking to roughly about 1,600 consumers that would designate as African-American, Asian-American, um, Hispanic-American, the LBGTQ community to ask them, um, what do you think about advertising? And then also, does advertising with authentic sources that are near and dear to each of those different communities doesn't make an impact. Do you notice it? Does it make you purchase from those advertisers? And is it something that if you don't see them, it actually makes you not want to use those advertisers? And the answer resoundingly is it's kind of common and basic, but yes, it does have an impact. And we're releasing this study. It's uh, very in-depth. But I think the biggest and the most surprising piece is that the brands that actually advertise with those small to mid-sized multicultural publishers, it has a positive impact. And the ones that don't, it actually has a negative impact towards your businesses and has those consumers wanting to purchase from your competitors. And so I think that's the most surprising piece, that there could be a punitive effect for not advertising within those spaces. That was the most surprising piece that came out of the, the study. With a strong ROI-driven business mindset and the amazing niche they've carved out, Direct Digital Holdings has made significant headway, and they're in a great position for even more success and growth. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Mark for being on the show today. There's a lot to learn from a management team and culture like the one that Direct Digital Holdings has created, and it was great to get his insights. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.